text for the message this morning is Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. We'll read that together, page 980. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to spend time with family and friends at Christmas time, add in a few gift exchanges, which I learned here in Edmonton means kids getting 10 bucks to buy candy for other kids, $10 worth of candy. But it's fun, people hanging out together, some good food, some days off work, and we can see why so many people love this cozy time of year. However, happy childhood memories can also make Christmas a time of year when we notice the empty spaces in the pews around us or the empty chairs in our homes. At this time of year, we often also think about the loved ones that the Lord has taken home to glory, the spouse or child we would love to have in our lives someday, or the family members or friends who don't want to go to church with us anymore. And these difficult reminders of suffering in this life also confirm for us the importance of knowing that we are not alone, but that we are striving side by side with one another, standing firm in the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1, verse 27, last week we we looked at that, striving side by side with one another, that family of God is a great support for every one of us, and especially at this time of year. And after teaching us, you can see that at the very end of chapter 1, verse 29, teaching us that part of being a Christian is suffering for the sake of Christ, the Holy Spirit continues in chapter 2 by saying so or therefore. And then you'll see the structure in these four verses. It says so followed by an if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. And then there's a, a, a be by being of the same mind. Hold fast to each other in true love and unity. So since we are suffering If you are a Christian, then you will hold fast to one another. And it's because of the opposition described in the previous verses that God really urges everyone to to hold fast to one another. That bond between covenant believers who are loved and protected by Jesus Christ and his office bearers is stronger than than all other ties, including 
family ties because it's a bond that lasts together for eternity, both in life and in death. And this morning I preach to you the gospel of God's amazing work in your lives under this theme that everyone who is united to God in Christ seeks unity with one another. And we'll see that we seek this unity because we all have the same divine blessing and we all have the same servant mindset. And so if we look to verse 1, we see that the second word is if. That if, in chapter 2, verse 1, it separates all those who have been united to God by faith in Jesus Christ from everybody else in the world. When the Holy Spirit commands people to be of the same mind, he is addressing people who are united to God by faith and who experience his work in their lives. The if shows that those who are not Christians or who do not follow Christ and do not share in the Spirit are not called to the same fellowship and unity of mind with Christians who have uh, repented, who submit to the triune God who saves. And that if then says, if you are experiencing, and then you see the, the words that are used, if you are experiencing encouragement, comfort, participation in the spirit, affection, and sympathy, and all true believers do experience these emotions, then you need to hear the word of God to you in Philippians 2, verses 2 to 4. The words of our text today are addressed to everyone who lives in the sphere of God's powerful work as this is summarized by that Trinitarian blessing that we hear every Sunday. And you can see the parallels between our text and the blessing in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That blessing is the starting point of the exhortation of our text. If you believe in the God who gives this blessing, if you experience his grace and his love and his, and his fellowship, then you will want to seek unity with those who are in this same covenant relationship. When the Holy Spirit points very specifically to that group of believers in God's church that are under that same divine triune blessing. He shows us that we have encouragement in Christ. And then we can see that he's describing what our lives under the blessing is like. And he starts with being in Christ. To be in Christ is to be in the sphere, the area of his perfect saving work. That place where we receive the promise of the forgiveness of our sins, the, the guarantee of, of eternal life. And in this covenant, there are promises and there are obligations and believers feel the encouragement. They feel the exhortation that's the, the meaning 
the side encouragement here, it's an encouragement to do something. We feel the encouragement to a new obedience. True followers of Jesus Christ do not love the world and they no longer want to try to earn their salvation by their works, but they want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. They want to live under, in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's promised to them in that blessing that we receive every Sunday. And so encouraged to rest in God's grace and the promise that God has, has done everything. We find comfort from love. As we seek to walk with the Lord, we, we may find comfort to know how much He loves us, those who are receiving that blessing from the triune God, how much He loves us. We're urged to find comfort in that love. Did He not send His only begotten Son to, to take on human flesh so that He could die on a cross for our sins? Did He not promise that He will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death and comfort those who trust Him with the promise of life and guidance in His Word? Our God reaches down to us in our affliction. He, he speaks tenderly to the church. As we sang also in hymn 15, Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people. And the third divine blessing that's poured out upon God's beloved congregation, the covenant, is that participation in the Spirit. When Christ ascended into heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon everyone who is united to him by true faith. You believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your midst. And that has powerful results. Christians who have participation in the Spirit are guided by God's Word to fight against sin and to seek fellowship with God and with their neighbor. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And everyone who shares in this blessing will, will be so influenced by God's work that it's visible in their lives that they are under the divine blessing. God loves us first. And as a result, we will show love to those who are around us. Philippians 1, verses 3 to 8, and especially verse 8, talks about how God, the apostle, loves us with the affection of Jesus Christ. Just as we are loved with the affection of Jesus Christ, so every follower of Jesus Christ will be an affectionate and a sympathetic person. An affectionate person has a, has a deep emotional attachment to the well-being of the other person. Like the love of a parent for their children, that they can feel right in the heart of their inner being. That's affection. That's the, the tenderness that leads us to be sympathetic, willing to stand beside others in their need to experience what it's like to be in their shoes. And Paul gives a good example of the affection and the sympathy that is found in that three-way bond that characterizes the letter to the Philippians, the three-way bond between Christ and his ordained servants and his congregation. 
that unity. And he says, your manner of life is connected to my joy. Paul says, if the divine blessing has been placed on your head so that you feel affection and sympathy, he says in verse 2, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. The apostles' joy is directly affected by the affection and sympathy of God's people. You see the, the unity. You see what affection means. You see what sympathy means. And it's an announcement not only of the sadness then that is caused by disunity in a congregation. We'll find that we're often hardest on the people who are closest to us. But his announcement also makes it clear that it is possible for an entire congregation to exist in unity and harmony with one another. If we have been made by God to be affectionate and sympathetic, our joy is directly connected to the unity of mind among God's people. And so the Holy Spirit will always drive us as God's people, as individuals, to seek this unity of mind, unity of perspective, of confession, of worldview. And in order that we don't think that being of the same mind means that we have to be exactly the same people with the same kind of solutions for every different activity, you can see how the Holy Spirit further defines being of the same mind. So you'll see in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's the, the major statement. And it's followed by four descriptions of what it means to be of the same mind. Ha uh, having the same love, still in verse 2. And then being in full accord and of one mind, the third part of verse 2. And then verse 3, counting or regarding others in humility. And then in verse 4, looking out for each other. That same mindset produced in our hearts by the Lord is a mindset that is focused on forming and strengthening relationships to people around us through humble service. And so we seek unity with the same servant mindset. Everyone is called to that same servant mindset and then it will work. And the Holy Spirit reveals to us that in, our, in our text that everyone who receives the divine blessing of the triune God will have the same love. They will have the same purpose. And the word for love that is used here is the, the word that means self-sacrificial love. Because members of Christ's body are able to have a love that is deeper than mere acquaintance and fellowship. It is a love that is more profound than love that's centered on physical attraction. For the Spirit can lead God's people to a love where they sacrifice themselves for the well-being of their brothers and sisters without receiving anything in return. You see why it's a, it's a miraculous love. It's a love that only the Spirit can work. And that's what Paul wants to see in the congregation. That's what the Spirit desires, makes us desire in the congregation. That loving your neighbor unconditionally 
without expecting anything in return, and that being what characterizes your whole being. And so we pray. We pray that we may be that self-sacrificial person, that we may be willing to serve the person who never says thank you, that we may be the people who return bitterness with kindness and with patience, that self-sacrificial love, that we may be those who desire to forgive the person who has done so much wrong to us in our lives, not only those who are far away, easy to forgive, but those who are also nearby to us. The Holy Spirit urges us to show the same love because we are like combined souls. That's going back to chapter 1, verse 27. We're like one soul together. Join the soul of, of Christ's body. And so the Holy Spirit says, walk in full accord and of one mind so that you strive side by side as, as you advance under the banner of Christ through the challenges that we face in all the diverse cultures and languages and times. It's, it's Emmanuel's included, but, but it's all God's people. And then in verse 3, the Holy Spirit shows us that Christians who have the same mind will regard others in humility. There's a focus on relationships, how you see those around you. You regard others in humility as more significant than yourself and not according to selfish ambition or vain conceit. What is that saying? It's saying that Christians, those all those who receive that triune blessing, that Christians will seek to understand the people around them. They will seek to, to see them as real human beings with their own unique roles and challenges and needs. When we see others around us in, in God's church as being under the same Trinitarian blessing that we have received as co-soldiers for the same cause, as members of the same body, parts of the same body, well then we will give them all consideration and all the attention they need to do their task well. And with these words, the Holy Spirit is, is also revealing what biblical humility looks like. That's how it works. It, it works when every person is a humble person. And biblical humility, if you look at the, the way it is worded here, we can see that biblical humility is not, does not mean feeling worthless before God. It doesn't mean ignoring the good gifts that you have received. And biblical humility is not that abject, helpless slavery to the wills of others. And biblical humility is not a false modesty where you tell everybody that you're really nothing and you tell them that because you actually think you need to prove that to them because you actually think you are something. But biblical humility is recognizing that your unique gift, your unique glory, because every one of us is made in the image of God, your unique gifts and glory 
are to be used in cooperation with other believers in Christ's church who are endowed with gifts that they want to use to the glory of God. So whether in weakness or in glory, we are all dependent on one another in, in service to our Creator in heaven. And so a, a humble person is a person who is, is more focused on the good of others, the benefit of others, than their own status and their own position, whether they're, they're drawing attention to it or they're trying to, to turn attention away from it because that's all that's on their mind. Even if we are given a greater responsibility than others, or we have more credentials, or more letters behind our, our name, our humility urges us not to draw attention to the prestige of our own name, but to use our gifts, to, to do something, to use our gifts and talents to serve others. We show that we regard others as more significant than ourselves, and you'll notice that's a community effort, when we seek to do what is necessary to save them from evil, to promote their honor and reputation. And in order to do this, the Holy Spirit shows that we have to fight against, too. He says, fight against selfish ambition and conceit, vain conceit. When Christians are, are working on a team, and they want to work on a team, there are things you avoid. What do you avoid? Selfish ambition and vain conceit. If you're working on a team, you don't worry too much about your own significance. You don't always think about how many points I got. But you focus on the performance and the contributions of, of the, every member of the team as they work together. If everyone does this, then everyone gets recognition. And it's much sweeter to receive recognition from others than it is to give it to yourself. And you think of your work culture. Work culture puts a lot of emphasis on our title and our position. It actually affects how, how you can walk. If you've got a low position, you crunch more. And if you've got a high one, people walk around with a, with a different stance. There's a lot of emphasis on title and, and position, whether it's retail or health or education or, or work site or politics. The humility of Christians will be seen when they walk the same no matter what their position is. They stop focusing on their own status and entitlement rights and they start thinking about working together with others, other employers, other employees whom they see just as real people with unique gifts and special challenges. That's a, the mark of a Christian view of others in relationships, regarding others as people made in the image of God. Now, Paul is not encouraging us to disrespect and to resent the different offices and responsibilities, but he is showing us that Christians spend more time focusing on the significance of others than they do talking about their own positions and importance. And we can see how it makes the, the joy of God's ordained servants complete to see everyone of the same mind regarding each other with respect, treating every other person with, with dignity that God gave them when he created them in his own image. And when we think about putting this into practice, 
We realize how important it is to actively work to know the other members of this congregation. And almost everybody I speak to says, well, it's hard to know everybody. We're so big. We're so big. Well, if everybody thinks that and everybody wants to, I think we can all get to know each other. We make that effort. We participate in Bible studies to, to get to know each other. We participate in community events. Uh, the announcement for a potluck dinner today, it's a part of growing together, focusing on the well-being of others. And finally, Paul shows that every Christian with a servant mindset will look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the language that Paul uses highlights the difference between an individualistic approach and a corporate responsibility approach. The individual versus the body. And he, doesn't, he says it very clearly. He says, not each one looking to his own interests, not each one singular looking to his own interests, but everyone, plural, looking out also for the interest of others, plural. The sense of looking out is scoping out. And it gives a picture of a person looking through binoculars or, or through a big scope and, and analyzing the situation around him. Looking through that scope to, to see what the best way to act will be. And you've done that as a, maybe you were out hunting or you were out uh, analyzing where you're going to canoe through a lake and you have your binoculars and you're, you're scoping out the situation. You're deciding the best way to act. But when you think about your life, as you're scoping out the situation, how much do you place the interest of others before yourselves as you're looking out? Do we, do we act like lone wolves who analyze the battlefield in order to find the best route out for, for me, for one person? Or do we act like, or do we analyze the battlefield like a general in order to, to think about the needs of all the soldiers with whom we are attached. And when Christians are in the sphere of Christ, in Christ, in that sphere of God's covenantal love, in the participation, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, their affection, their sympathy, their self-sacrificial love, their shared objectives, their regard for their neighbors as real people that God wants them to serve, that always makes Christians eager to help their fellow believers, to serve their interests as well as their own. And there are many examples we can use to make this, this clear. Let's say you run across a, a job opportunity, but you're already employed. Are you done with the opportunity? Well, not if you are a member of Christ's church. You will think of the interest of others, the people you met maybe at a potluck dinner, maybe in your Bible study, maybe after church in a social, the, the people you know, you will think about them. Or let's say you, you find a good deal 
uh, for something very useful on Kijiji. And, and I never thought I'd say that in a sermon, but there it is, Kijiji. But everybody knows what I mean. It's, it's an online market where, you can, where people buy and sell. It's like the old classified ads on, on, online. And so you find something very useful, but you don't really need it. Are you done? No. You will think of people in your congregation. We probably all know someone who, who always does this, has that endless focus, who's always phoning up people, hey, I ran across this, would you, would you be interested? In? And we know that such people are reflecting that affection and sympathy and love that Paul says comes from the Holy Spirit. And so Christians will give up their seats on crowded buses for someone who would need it or appreciate it more than they do. They're not the type to walk into a room and, and analyze which couch is the most comfortable for themselves or, or which piece of cake or, or whatever else the food is, is biggest for themselves. But they are people who are thinking of others. And you see that in the workplace and you see that in, in the home. And then we ask, well, how many times a day are we scoping out the situation? Are we looking around, and brothers and sisters, in a very practical way we can see how many ways we can think of the interest of others. You can even write it down. And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit will show the numerous ways and examples of how you desire to put others before yourself. It is the characteristic of the, the Spirit-led Christian. Many examples, and yet none, will compare to the greatest example of all, that that example that has made the change in your heart possible. No example will compare with the life-changing example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see that in verse 5. Keep thinking this among yourselves, which attitude is also in Christ Jesus. And there is the example, the great example of humility which we will return to when we come together on Christmas morning. The greatest example of humility. Let us leave here today with the words of the display text in our minds. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Amen.